This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Colossians 1, if you're using one of the Bibles in our pews, it's page 983. You want to follow along in the same translation that I'm using, the English Standard Version? That would be helpful. Colossians chapter 1, and if you're new today, we're in the midst of a series where we're walking through Paul's letter to the, the Colossians. And we've entitled this series, Rooted and Built Up, How Jesus is Enough for Life. We just sang that a few moments ago, that he's enough. He's, he's more than enough. And so we see that in the book of Colossians. And, and today what we're doing is we're going to look at a prayer that Paul prays for this church. And this prayer is really a model. It's a great model for us as we pray for our families. We're thinking about the whole theme of family today. How do we pray for our families? What things should we pray for our families? How should we pray for our church, for the family of God? Well, this prayer in Colossians 1 is a great model for us as we pray for our family and as we pray for the family of God. Let's look at it together. Colossians chapter 1, and let's look at verses 9 through 14. Follow along with me in your copy of God's Word. Paul says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word that we have just read. And now, Father, we pray that You would take it and You would help us to understand it. We ask that Your Spirit would illuminate our minds and, and hearts. We're, we're talking about something today that's so vital Lord, we're, we're aware that when we, when we think about the members of our families, we're aware that you can do things in their lives that are beyond our capacity to do. When we think about our church, when we think about the, the members of the family of God as we pray for one another, uh, again, Father, we, we know that, that, that you can do things that, that, that we simply cannot. And so we pray. We pray for one another. And we thank you for this, this, this model of, of how we can do that. And so, Lord, would you teach us to pray for one another today, to pray for our families and to pray for the family of God. And, and may you, you take what you do in our lives today and as you transform our prayer lives, Father, may you use our prayers 
to transform our families and the family of God. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Between college and seminary, I was working at Dale's Home Center out in the lumber yard uh, in Portsmouth. And, uh, and I remember one day that uh, I looked up and some of the guys that I worked with out in the lumber yard were out in the, the middle of, uh, of Portsmouth Boulevard, busy, busy city street, and they were frantically waving their arms and, and, and stopping traffic. And I soon found out what it was. It was an annual event. There was a, a, a mother duck that was leading her ducklings from one body of water to another, and she was marching across Portsmouth Boulevard, multi-lane, traffic all around, and she was just marching those ducklings right across the road. And, and what was amazing to me was that this, this, this mother duck just seemed completely oblivious to the danger that was all around. I mean, horns blaring and cars and, and, and people, uh, all kinds of threatening things and, and danger, but yet she just seemed oblivious to it all. She was just going by her mothering instinct. You know, I think the Apostle Paul feels something like that, that mothering instinct when he thinks about the Colossians. Because they were a young congregation. They were, they were relatively new Christians, young Christians. They were surrounded by dangers of all sorts, and they were trying to grow to maturity. And, and Paul cannot be with them. Paul, as he writes these words, is in prison for the gospel in Rome. He can't be with them, but he can do two things. Paul can write to them, and he can pray for them. And that's what we see in this text. He is, we, what we see here is that he, has, he is writing to them what he is praying for them. And in so doing, he gives us a model of how we can pray for our families and for the family of God. What do we see here? First of all, we see something about the, the priority of prayer. As we pray for one another, what should be, what should be the priority as we pray for family members, as we pray for our church. Well, he, he tells us here in verse 9, look at it. He says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now note the emphasis here on spiritual things. He says the first thing out of his mouth is, he says, we're praying that you would be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, I'm sure that the Apostle Paul prayed for their physical needs as well. For instance, if he heard that, uh, that some of them were, were ill or something like that or going through a crisis, certainly he would, he would pause and, and, and pray for that. But when you look at this prayer, and really when you look at all of the prayers, Paul, throughout his epistles, they're, they're sprinkled from time to time with prayers for the churches. And when you look at the content of those prayers, it's very clear that the priority was on spiritual needs, spiritual concerns. Dr. D.A. Carson has written a wonderful book on the prayers of Paul. I commend it to you. It's called A Call to Spiritual Reformation. And D.A. Carson says this. He says, suppose, for example, 
that 80 to 90 percent of our petitions ask God for good health, recovery from illness, safety on the road, a good job, success in exams, success in our mortgage application, and much more of the same. Now, Dr. Carson isn't saying that we shouldn't pray for those things. Indeed, we should. But 80 to 90 percent? Really? Should that be the vast majority of our, of our prayer lives? Um, just the physical needs? It's really the spiritual things that will last forever. It's the spiritual things that are going to, to, to count forever. And, and really, it's those spiritual things that should be given the priority. Think about in the moments before the, the Titanic struck the iceberg. Think about what was on the, the minds of the people on that ship. I mean, they were, they were wondering, hey, is it too cold to take a stroll on deck? You know, are the, are the stewards going to come by with more, uh, with more food and, 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 and things to drink? And then in one moment of time, everything changed. We know, for instance, that the band on the Titanic uh, in the moments before they struck the iceberg was playing sort of a, 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 light-hearted, uh, a light-hearted ditty called Alexander's Ragtime Band. And before long, the same band was playing Nearer My God to Thee. Why is it that we wait until the end of life or until a crisis in life to take the most important things in life seriously or to pray about the most important things. And listen, make no mistake, the most important things in your family and in the family of God are the spiritual things, the things that are going to to count forever. The kind of things that Paul was talking about in this prayer. Let's keep digging into it. We see the priority of prayer, and second, we see the purpose of prayer. Let's kind of keep following the contours of it as he, as he goes along. Look at this, this purpose clause that he, he leads into in, 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 verse, in verse 10. Pick it up again in verse 9, and we'll see him flowing into the purpose here in verse 10. He's praying that they would be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then at the beginning of verse 10, we see the purpose of that. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. He's praying that they would be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So that, so as, they will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What does that mean? What does it mean to, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Well, what he's saying here is that in their everyday life, their walk, okay, that they would live in such a way that they would make the Lord look good. That they would walk in such a way as not to bring shame upon the Lord, but bring honor upon Him, glory upon Him, to, to make Jesus look good every, in everything they, they did and, and said. That was His prayer. That's what He means by to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To walk in a manner that shows the worth of the Lord. You know, in many cultures today, they, they function on sort of a... And, and there's an honor-shame sorts of mentality. I've been on various trips overseas where this was so clear. Um, in cultures like that, the, the overriding concern of 
children, for instance, is that they would never bring shame upon their parents, that they would always make their parents look good, that they would never bring shame upon uh, their, their parents. And that sort of mentality really existed very strongly in the first century world as well in which Paul was writing. But then Paul takes it and he transforms it. He takes it higher. He takes it up. He takes it all the way up. And what he's saying is, is that as children of God, that we want to live our lives, we want to walk in such a way as to make our Lord look good. Parents, that should be our prayer for our children. Our prayer for our children should not be that they would live in such a way as to make us look good. Our prayer for our children should be that they would live in such a way as to make Jesus Christ look good. That, that's what it means here. Uh, to, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It, it, it means that, uh, that we would never want to bring reproach upon Him, that we want to, um, to bring uh, uh, glory to, to the Lord. So what does that kind of life look like? What is a life wor- living a life worthy of the Lord? What does that look like? Well, he fleshes that out more in verse 10. What does he say next? He says that, we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Let's pray that. Pray that for our families. Pray that for the family of God. But then he, says, he tells us what walking in a manner worthy of the Lord looks like. It means a life that's fully pleasing to Him. Fully pleasing to Him. Now, the word here for pleasing in Greek makes it clear that, that God can experience emotions. Uh, just like we can. In other words, we, we can do things in our lives. We can do things, we can say things that um, bring joy, happiness, delight to the Lord. Or we can do things and say things and say things in such a way that we grieve the heart of God. You know, he both of those things. And what we want to do is in, in, that in everything, we need to ask the question. This is the controlling question. Is that whenever we're talking with someone, we need to ask the question, is, does what I'm about to say, is this going to bring uh, delight? Is this going to please the Lord? Or is it going to grieve the Lord? And the way that we say it, is it going to please the Lord or is it going to, to, to grieve Him? And everything that we do, every action that we take, that's the question that we ask. Now, does that not radically simplify life and transform life? It tells us our aim. You know, someone once said, if you aim at nothing, you hit it every time. <laughs> Second Corinthians 5.9 says this. It says, we make it our aim to please Him. That should be the controlling question of life. And everything that we say, everything that we do, does this please the Lord? Will this bring joy to my Savior? Now think about that. Think about if we apply that, uh, how that would transform. (laughs) Uh, How would that transform family life, for instance? How would it transform all kinds of, of, of relationships? 
And so the purpose of why we should pray for spiritual wisdom and understanding is so that we would live a life worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Now, what he does next is he uses four phrases that flesh out what a life that's pleasing to the Lord looks like. And so we need a vision. When we pray for our families to live a life pleasing to the Lord and our own lives to live that way, when we pray that for our church family, we need a vision of what that looks like. And he gives us that vision by using four phrases. The first phrase is this, a life that's fully pleasing to the Lord is a life that's bearing fruit in every good work. Verse 10, verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work. And the Bible makes it very clear that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and that our works do nothing to contribute to our salvation. Ephesians 2, uh, 8 and 9 just makes that so clear. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Works have nothing to do with us getting saved. But in the very next verse, in Ephesians 2.10, Paul makes it clear that although works are not the root of salvation, good works certainly are the fruit of salvation. He says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And when the Bible talks about good works, one of the primary things he's talking about is good works, loving our neighbor, loving other people, doing good works for other people. Martin Luther, the great reformer who so stressed that salvation was by grace alone through faith alone and that you know, we, don't, we can't save ourselves by our, 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 our works, that's just all of, of grace. You know, Luther would tell people, he would say, hey, listen, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. Our neighbors do. Yes, we're called to love our neighbors, to do good works for other people. As Christians, theologian Michael Horton says this, are your neighbors, relatives, co-workers, even people you don't like that much, beneficiaries of your daily concern and acts of generosity? Do you evaluate your relationships with God and other people on the basis of their usefulness to your own interests and needs? Or do you drop everything when you see someone who needs your help, even if you've never met the person? On the very day that I wrote these questions, my seven-year-old son asked me to play with him. Even though I was at a good stopping place, I told him I was busy. It's especially easy to justify my decision since, after all, I'm working on a book to help people understand God's claim on their lives. Yet I missed a moment to love and serve my nearest neighbor. You know, instead of missing those moments to love and serve our neighbors, as Christians, we're called to seize those moments, right? Beginning in our own families, but then extending out to our sphere of influence, to the people that we work with and the people that we live around and the people that we go to church with and the people that we move in our, our circles with or even the casual person that we meet, the, the, the person who may uh, wait on your table today at, at lunch. Indeed, to 
people that we've, we haven't met yet, when we look at another human being, we are looking at a neighbor that we are called to love and serve. What if, what if our church went forth each week as an army bent on doing good? <laughs> What if we walked out of these doors every Sunday just looking for opportunities to love people? Looking for opportunities to do good works, to do acts of kindness for people. How would that transform family life? Uh, How would that transform uh, uh, the people that you're around each day at work or school or, or wherever you are? we would have people wondering, what what kind of a God do we have? What kind of a God is this? And that's exactly the point. Because when we do good works, the point is not that people would uh, talk about how good we are. The, the, The motivation is so that they would talk about how great God is. Jesus said this in Matthew 5 and verse 16. Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so we're to be bearing fruit in every good work. That's something we can pray for for one another. Second, we we can pray that we would be increasing in the knowledge of God. That's the second phrase that we see here in verse 10. Paul's praying that they would be increasing in the knowledge of God. And where do we get knowledge of God? We get knowledge of God from the Word. Of God. That's where. That's where we get it. We get it from His Word. You know, there's, no, there's no wonder why um, churches are, are losing influence, have lost influence in our culture. There's no wonder why uh, so many churches are so weak and anemic. It's, it's because there's a, there's a biblical ignorance. There's a lack of, of knowledge of God's Word. You, you go to these churches and, and the, the sermons are not expository. They're not doing what we're doing right now, taking a passage of Scripture and digging into it and trying to, to learn and grow in, 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 in the knowledge of what God says in His Word. You, you go to churches like this and the, and the, the, the children's classes are just kind of little moralisms. And adult classes are milk and not meat. And so part of our prayer for our families and our church family is that we would be increasing in the knowledge of God. You know, teaching children the Word of God really begins, the beginning responsibility of that is with the parents. And praying for our homes to be homes where the Word of God is taught and where mom and dad are are growing in increasing in the knowledge of God and that increasingly our church family as we are rooted and built up in the Word of God that we would be growing in, in knowledge of God through His Word. Why? Why do we want that? So we can know a lot about the Bible? No. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8.1, knowledge without love puffs up. It just puffs up. No. We want to grow in the knowledge of God's Word, not as an end in and of itself, that we would just have a bunch of head knowledge about what the Bible says. No, we want to grow in the knowledge of God and His Word so that we can better understand how to love Him 
and how to love other people. When you love somebody, don't you want to know more about them, right? That's, that's what he's saying here. He says we want to be praying that we would be increasing in the knowledge of God. And then he gives us another phrase in verse 11. And here he's talking about endurance, that we would be characterized by endurance with patience and joy. Verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. In his book, The Roots of Endurance, John Piper talks about that the fact that what we should be praying for is to be um, coronary Christians and not adrenal Christians. And what he means by that is that adrenaline is fine. Okay, God gives us adrenaline for certain times, a burst of energy. I'm thankful for adrenaline every time that I preach. God gives us adrenaline, and so there are times when we need a burst that adrenaline gives. But you know what? The Christian life is not a sprint. The Christian life is like a marathon. It is a distance race. And for a distance race, adrenaline lets you down. It's a strong heart, right? A strong, steady heart that keeps you going. That's what I'm talking about when I say coronary Christians. What we want are strong hearts that are able to endure with patience and joy through the trials of life because they will come. They will come, right? Disappointment and heartache and and pain, that's a part of life in a broken world. Those things come. And so when they come, we want to pray for our families and for our fellow members of the family of God that we would have the kind of enduring hearts to be able to stand in those times. And, and indeed, to stand with, with patience and even with joy through those times, understanding that God is growing us and strengthening us and deepening us in our character. Look at Romans chapter 5 and verses 3 and 4. Paul says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And so we want to be praying for endurance with patience and joy. And then we need to be praying for an attitude of gratitude. An attitude of gratitude, of thanksgiving. What does he say here uh, again in, in verses 11 and 12? He's, he's praying that we would be strengthened for all endurance and patience with joy. What? Verse 12. Giving thanks. And the way that you could translate this, the, the two, these phrases really, really go together. And the way that, that, literally what this is saying is with joy giving thanks. Okay? With joy giving thanks. This is how Paul puts these things together in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verses 16 through 18. Wow. These are incredible verses to memorize. I would encourage you to do it. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You want to know what the will of God is for your life? Right here. <laughs> right here. 
This is the will of God for our lives. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. His will is that we would learn to rejoice in the Lord always. Not because our circumstances are always good, but because God is always good. His his will is that we would learn to joyfully give thanks in all circumstances. Again, not because our circumstances are always good, but because God is good and because we know that God is at work in all of our circumstances. Romans 8.28 says that he's causing all things to work together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. We give thanks in all circumstances because we know that God is at work in all circumstances for our good and for his glory. He says pray without ceasing. The will of God is that you pray without ceasing instead of taking uh, burdens upon yourself and trying to carry them on your own, you give your burdens to the Lord who is able to carry them. And He's willing to carry them. In fact, He was willing to carry our sins to the cross. That's where Paul is going next. He's talking about the Gospel in verses 13 and 14. He says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. I was noticing in the paper today lots of, commi- uh, lots of graduation exercises in colleges around the country yesterday. John Ortberg is a, a pastor in uh, Northern California, and uh, one of John's kids was, was graduating from uh, Azusa Pacific University out on the West Coast. And John was at a he was at a, a, a gathering in conjunction with their graduation. It was sort of a little side gathering. About 50 people were there. And some faculty members were there. And, and some people from the graduating class of 50 years ago were, were there. And, and they brought in three students that were headed out to India to serve the, the least of the least, the poorest of the poor in India. Kind of like David and Peggy Shepherd that were with us uh, um, just a few weeks ago. Uh, serving in, in, uh, in South Asia. But these students were headed to, uh, to that region of the world, and you know, they were leaving American culture, leaving everything behind to, to go there. And uh, the, the three, three, three students thought, you know, hey, we're, we're just going to this little gathering, and these people are going to surround us in prayer, and they'll probably lay hands on us and pray and send us off and, and that type of thing. And, and they, they did all of that. But then at the end of the evening, the president of the university, John Wallace got up and he called these three students up again and he told them, he said, there is an anonymous donor who is so moved by what you guys are getting ready to do with your lives that he's left the great gift to our university on on your behalf. And he called up the first student and he said, uh, you're forgiven of your debt of $105,000. And he called it the second. And he said, you're forgiven your debt of $70,000. He called it the third. He said, you're forgiven of your debt of $130,000. 
And these three students just stood there and shock <laughs> and wept. You know, just, just ambushed by grace. Ambushed by grace. That is what has happened to every believer. We've experienced the forgiveness of our debt, a debt that we could never pay. If you look at, second, at, the, at the second chapter of Colossians, look at Colossians 2 and verses 13 and 14. This is our story. This is what has happened to us as believers. Paul says, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. Is that good news? Say amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for the Gospel. We thank You for Your amazing grace. Lord, we thank You that You gave Your Son to pay a debt that we could never pay, to pay it in full so that our trespasses could be forgiven. We thank You that those things have been nailed to the cross and that now we can we can move out to live a life of, of freedom in the light of, of your forgiveness. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your amazing grace and, and love. Now, Lord, help us to go forth to love our neighbors, to love our family members, to love our church family members, Lord, to love the neighbors that you put in our path each day. Lord, send us out as an army of grace just bent on good for others through our lives and through our lips as we share the gospel. Lord, may we love others by praying for them. May we love our families by lifting them before you and love our church by praying faithfully for our church. Lord, may we use this prayer as a model for doing that. As we just continue to pray today, I would ask you, do you know that you know that you know that you trusted in Christ as your Savior? Listen, that, that free gift of salvation that we're talking about, it, the work has been done, it's offered to you, but a gift only becomes yours when you receive it. Have you received Christ into your life as your Savior and Lord. You can do it today. Come to Him. Trust Him right where you are. And Jesus tells us that when we turn to Him and trust Him, that we're to confess Him openly before others. In just a moment, we're going to have a song of invitation. If you're giving your life to Christ today, we want to invite you to come. As soon as others stand, they'll gladly make way. Step out and, and come. Just share with what God is doing in your life today. And we want to help you in beginning the Christian life, set up a time for you to be baptized as a new Christian. Maybe you're here today and God's speaking to your heart about being a member of this church family. We want to invite you, as others stand, step out and, and come. We'd love to receive you as we begin to do life together for the glory of God.
you've got a need in your life for prayer, you just want to come pray at the altar or pray with, with myself or one of our pastors, we invite you to come today. So, Father, we give you this time of invitation. Lord, would you work and move in our hearts now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. Amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.